Father, as we come now to open Your Word, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would work in us and through us to, to uh, hear Your Word, to grasp understanding for our needs today, in the sense of just right where we are with our walk with You. And we thank You again for the opportunity to open Your Word, to know that the, that the God of all creation has given us the Word, God-breathed, that we might know it. Thank you that we can know you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. The scripture reading today is, uh, just the the regular scripture reading is out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 14. And... The message this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And I'm just going to read this Ephesians chapter 1 in context all the way through because I think you'll you'll grab a hold of just how awesome a a God we have in this picture. But before I read that, I wanted to share with you, and 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 I've shared this with you before so many times, but it's just the way I, I see what God has done in that picture of, of a great symphony. And uh, I, I, I use the term God's symphony for man or for creation. And, and this symphony that God has written it begins and ends in eternity in the sense of that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for salvation. And, and so the, the symphony was written for His church, the people He would save, before time began. And it ends with a new heaven and a new earth entering into eternity. And so we have this picture. Ephesians 4 says, before the foundation of the world. And, and Revelation 1 and 22 talk all about the new heaven and the new earth. And we have in His, his Scriptures that we have here, uh, we... we say in our statement of faith that, that this is God-breathed. In other words, we contend that this is the only revelation that God has made of Himself to man. It is God-breathed through the writers that He used to put it down, and it's been God-preserved that we could have it intact even up to this point at this time. You realize how many times someone in history has tried to eliminate the, the Word of God? And I always think of, of, of different things, but... The, the, the one story, and I know I've shared it with you, but uh, a village in, in China trying to get rid of the church, throwing all of the Bibles out into the river that was running by the, the, the stream and all these people wailing as they're losing the Word. And just down the stream, a woman fishing out pages of the Bible and getting saved. You know, uh, it's, it comes back to that picture of Joseph. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. And over and over and over again, through His Word, we've had this kind of testimony of how He works and how awesome it is. And no man can destroy it. It Of all the things that, that, that are eternal, we know, He says, my Word stands forever. Period. And so we have it. And, and to me, this is the, the, it's the story of the symphony. And, and, I, and I thought about say, using the word, this is the score of the symphony, but you know, I, I think there's additional things happening that, in, that we don't have all recorded here in the sense of our individual lives as part of the symphony. And it made me think of, 
an old teacher of mine, uh, well, he wasn't old at the time. Um, well, when you're 14, it seemed old. Well, no. Uh, uh, his name was Henry Brubeck. And some of you are familiar with Dave Brubeck and, and the Dave Brubeck uh, Quartet and Trio and Five at different points and times in history. Great jazz people. Well, Henry was Dave's brother. And uh, you couldn't have had a more powerful teacher for music and, and, and band and orchestra. But one of the things is that when we would even get into a small piece or a big piece of music, there was always a story that went with it. And he knew all the stories. It's kind of like some of our hymns. Once you know some of the stories that go with our hymns, it just enriches what you're listening to. And it's one of those things where you can turn around and, and, and I can remember... Uh, being raised in Santa Barbara, and, and one of the things that, that we had, uh, that our schools took advantage of at that point, was we had uh, traveling orchestras, uh, symphonic orchestras that would travel, and there was a place for them there in Santa Barbara to play, and they would bus us to these things. But as a, as a teenager, going with the band group or the orchestra group, and having had the story ahead of time, you're sitting there listening to the music, and all of a sudden something comes to a crescendo, and you know what's happening. Uh, have you ever heard the, the, the Peter and the Wolf music and story? It's awesome. And you hear the piccolo going through there and you have a bird chirping and you know, all these different things that go on. We have the words to the symphony. It's so awesome to think about it. And, and, and so we have the story. And, and then as I was putting that down and I was saying, you know, uh, God's breathed word is the story. It reveals the purpose and the will of God concerning His chosen people, His church. And then it, it, it's one of those things where I, I you know, flash back to, uh, to, to uh, uh, Jesus' movement 70s and, and love song. I don't know how many of you recall that group, one of the early uh, praise groups. And, uh, one, and, and one of their songs, you know, talked and... It mentioned all of these words, mercy, grace, forgiveness, salvation, adoption, inheritance, fellowship. And, and, and I thought of that, and so I wrote down, God has written this, this symphony, the story is actually a love song of mercy, of grace, of forgiveness, salvation, adoption, inheritance, and fellowship. Uh, it, it's written for His chosen people, His church. And last week we talked about the church in the sense of a general format, uh, that it's, it's God's people, and the word church being ecclesia. And it's not, it's not in a sense a location, but it's a people, where it's the gathering of the people, it's the assembling of the people, the people that are called out, that have assembled and gathered together. And so wherever we meet together, we're the church. And the church is universal, meaning that it's, it's global. Everyone who has ever confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior, whoever will confess Jesus Christ as their Savior and rest in His grace, are part of the church. They're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and part of the church. Jesus said of the church in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we went over this last week, that, that, uh, he, says that he, he says, I'm going to build my church and again, this awesome picture that stands with the word that we just talked about. And the gates of hell will not stand or prevail against it. Period. Hell can throw, Satan can throw his hardest, most powerful, if you will, attempt and assault 
which I believe was the cross on Jesus, and, and lose. He can't win. And we know this because we've got the story right here. And as this symphony unfolds and we all play our parts in it, the instrument that God has given us to play, our spiritual gifts that we bring together to collectively use in the, in the ministry of the body of Christ, each playing our part, we rest in this awesome picture of the church. The church is universal, but we meet in groups of local groups. And, you know, and, and, and Paul addresses that format all through his writings. And in the book of Acts, we see it over and over again. Local groups getting together with elders as the leaders and, 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 and instruction on how to live out the life of Christ with the situations that were going on around them in their culture at the time. This song of God this is, it shows God, the, the, God's love for His church. And it speaks of an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God, an everywhere-present God, a God who is sovereign in all ways over all things. He speaks of how His it speaks of how this sovereign God chooses for Himself a people. The plan you know, before the foundation of the world. Of how God saves His people from a fallen world where the wages of sin, death, rule. He removes the sting of death. And at the very center of this symphony, this love song, is the plan of redemption, salvation, by the Son of God, God the Son. We see it, we just sang it a minute ago, and I, and I, and I want to, 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 to read it too in, in you know, Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes the fifth verse, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing. He emptied Himself. He set his crown aside in that sense. And he took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the many, I, I, I guess you might use the term, movements within the framework of this symphony are the various you know, letters of, that Paul writes. One of them is the letter to Ephesians. And this letter is, is one that describes the relationship of God and His, His chosen people, the church. And I want to emphasize that. It's the whole book speaks in ways to the, the, the body of Christ, the church. And over the next uh, several weeks, you, the, our messages that are coming from the pulpit will be ones that clue in on the book of Ephesus and, 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 and the relationship that they have to us and, and to us as the church. I start today with chapter 1. Obviously, a good place to start. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. I love this phrase. Which He lavished upon us. The idea of lavished is to abundantly pour out to the point where more than we need. It's such an awesome picture. God so pours out His, his love and His grace and His mercy on us that we have more than we need to do the job. Not just enough, but abundant. He lavished this, this grace upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to the, the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And I think the ultimate culmination of this symphony, a new heaven and a new earth brought together. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Powerful opening. Amazing picture. Paul's very next phrase, verse 15, for this reason. Okay, for what reason? And some people say it's because of what he's going to say next. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints. Others say, no, it's, it's, it's verses uh, uh, 13 and 14 that talks about this inheritance and the seal of the Holy Spirit. Either way, it works. And I think it's... In, Paul is... You've got to think and remember Paul as, as a guy who is, is one who is trained and in, 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 in educated in the way of, of thinking in, in, in the pharisaical way, but it's to think in holes of, of whole pictures at once. When Paul, Paul talks about baptism, he's, he's not ignoring repentance. When he talks about repentance and baptism, he's not ignoring confession. Yeah, in other words, he would never think of one without the other. Somebody says, well, you get saved by baptism? No, you get saved that you're, with your confession but a person who confesses will be baptized. Why? Well, because that's part of who you are in Christ. It identifies you with the body of Christ, the church. It's a public statement that you make. You're buried with Christ, raised with Christ, to walk in a newness of life. It's, it's a powerful statement and picture of who we are. And so, just as, as it could, it, it's what he hears about them, for this reason, what I hear about you in, in reference to how things are going in your, in your walk with each other. He's, I think he's definitely referring to the previous verses of being sealed in the Holy Spirit and the guarantee, but I quite candidly, I'm one of the guys that rests in the camp that he actually is thinking of all of it he just said from, from verse 3. 
For this reason, for all that this, this plan of redemption has been done, for this reason, as I listen and hear about your, the, your walk with each other, toward, your love uh, toward all the saints, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he shares a prayer in verse 17 that we'll get to in a minute. There's three repeated verses in the first uh, 14 verses that, I, that uh, I want to draw your attention to. It's in verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. To the praise of His glory. Look at verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 12. So that you who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory and verse 14, this is talking about our inheritance. Who is the guarantee? The Holy Spirit being our, 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 the seal of our inheritance. Uh, until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. And, and it's one of those things where you, you look at something, you read something, and, then, and, and, it, and it frequently is, I, I, is the case for me. Uh, I, I, I read through this and I start outlining it and I'm saying, oh, look at this, repeats itself. I try to figure out why come to some conclusions and then I go to the commentary and, and I find out, you know, hey, I was right this much and, and maybe this much, but you start to put it together. And one of the things that is, is really neat is, is that each one of these to the praise of His glories ties together with one of the, the, of the Godhead, each one of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let me look, share with you in, 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 in chapter 6. It's talking about, it starts with chapter 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it talks about what God has done. And he says, To the praise of His glorious grace which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And at that point, he transfers into talking about Jesus Christ and what Christ has done. And he concludes that, So that we are the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory. And then in Him you also were heard the, uh, the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all tied together there. It's just, it's, it's cool, it's neat, it's great to see that. And, and so, again, for this reason, for all that God has done, I'm giving thanks for you. And he, 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 he's wanting them to experience everything that God has for them. He wants the church, His chosen people, before the foundation of the world, this plan of salvation, this great symphony that He's written, as it's coming around, He wants us to share at our point in time in life and forever, eternity, what He has for us. And He, he calls it, you know, uh, the blessings in the heavenly places. In fact, he says that we have been blessed with, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he wants us to be joining in with the body of Christ together to enjoy this. And so in verse 17, he, he, he goes on with this prayer. I, I, well, I'll go back to verse 16 just to the flow here. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, 
having the, t- having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the workings of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body the fullness of Him who fills all in all. He says, May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may He give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And I'm thinking, you know, He's got a purpose for these words, but the, the idea of the spirit of wisdom, question mark, is that capital S, Holy Spirit, or is that little s? Uh, I look at it because it's tied to the idea of revelation. I tend to stand in the group that says, you know, capital S. But, but the idea is that there is a sense of wisdom that is of God that comes through His revelation that has been given to us that we can know Him. And, and we have over and over and over in, in, in the Old Testament uh, statements of, of the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Talking about wisdom and knowing God. Wisdom and walking with God. And, and so this idea of wisdom is first and foremost realizing there is a God, the God of all creation, the author of our salvation, the one that we look to, the one and only true God. His wisdom. And He imparts wisdom to us first and foremost to know Him. I think about this as, as the transition of, of, of my walk with the Lord. Before I was a Christian, I was reading things about Him. I, I, have, I, I have shared my testimony so many times with you, but, but, but it's still the idea. He, he, as He opened my eyes, and I, I'm beginning to understand bits and pieces. And for the first time in my life, I begin to seek to know Him. To actually know Him and realize that He is the God of all creation. He is the guy who my, and my, and my science teacher, my biology teacher in college didn't even know this. He was not a believer. But he talked about that there has to be some eternal first cause out there. And, 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 and it's an intelligent something. And he said it has to be. In fact, he made a statement I found was really almost prophetic in the sense of that idea of, of, of understanding. He says the more science unfolds the, the complexity of life, the more we're going to realize there is a designer. And that's, this is just, you know, we're talking back in the, in, in the late 60s. You know, and so, uh, you know, we weren't really getting into all of the stuff about the 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 genetics and stuff that we have now and the just amazing stuff that we're, we're seeing. And, and you know, you realize over, the, over the, the just the decades that I've lived 
and, and, and the time that I've spent in, in, in school, which would, you know, my elementary school back into the 50s and stuff, and, and realize we've gone from hundreds of millions of years, possibly a billion, necessary for creation. Science keeps unfolding more and more complexity. Oh, well, we're going to have to add another billion years to that possibility. Oh, we're going to have... So now where we're, I don't know, where is it, 17 billion? Something like that. Uh, we, you know, when I was in school, you go back to the old textbooks. It doesn't talk about 17 billion years. It talked about, you know, uh, when I, the ones that I can remember actually verbally going back into the early uh, 60s, talked about 3 to 4 billion. Why are they having to do this? Because exactly what my science teacher said, there's an intelligent design to this, and the more they figure it out, the more they realize chance isn't going to work with this unless we add more years. And no matter what we do, we keep adding more and more and more years to it. We're still not going to come up with, any, with anything else that tells us, you know, other than the reality, there's a first cause, an intelligent designer, who his name is God Jehovah, and he's revealed himself in his word. You know, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just the way it is, you know. And I didn't understand that. So before that, I had a lot of knowledge. I had, you know, I had college education. I had uh, high school education. I had grammar school education. I had great teachers. I was in a high school that was totally into, you know, the idea of college prep. You know, and, and so you had, the, and we had some of the most amazing teachers in high school that were just phenomenal. We were so fortunate. And, and so I had a, I've had a basically very good academic education, Renaissance style, meaning of the great enlightenment of man's ideas of what great enlightenment is, uh, music, literature, science. I, 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 I've been you know, exposed to so many things to, to learn bits and pieces of all of it. To, to have a, a way of looking at the world around you. I'm a really a fortunate person. But I didn't know God. I knew of Him. I acknowledged that He is there, but I didn't know Him. The amazing thing is, is that as I studied, the more I studied, the more I began to think this is real. The day I confessed that He is real, there was a thing that happened that was different. I started to know Him. And who he is, and I begin to realize that he is the source of creation. He's also, therefore, the source of wisdom, all sovereign, all knowing, all the things that we attribute to him in the sense of who he is. And we realize this is the God of all creation, my Savior. And so, obviously, if if he's the creator, he's and he's sovereign. He knows everything. There isn't. You realize there isn't anything he doesn't know. You can't be omniscient, all-knowing without that being the groundwork for it. There isn't anything he doesn't know. Then, then you, you, he has to be the source of all understanding. To know him is to understand why creation is the way it is. And why it's so complicated. Because, however, you know, I, I've, I've looked at, at things and I think I might have designed that a little differently. You know? Um, you know, you, you know I, I won't go into details. It just I might have designed it a little differently, and 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 but I know with confidence, even though I don't understand why certain parts of of creation are exactly the way they are, he created it that way because within the whole purpose of things, it's what works. 
It's what brings it together and causes it to work in harmony for the purposes of his symphony that he wrote to redeem his church and bring his church into forever. <laughs> I just I, I look at that and, and, and this is what he's done. So he's given us wisdom and revelation uh, through God's his breathed word for us. Deeper understanding of God and his purpose and his will concerning the church. He specifically says that I want you know, uh, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, uh, which means you know uh, that word enlightened is to be f- uh, full in the sense of, of you know being able to see in, in such a way that you can see past yourself, you can see past this and, and move on to this. It, 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 it's, it's a light that just brings everything open to you. And it is funny that man says that was the Renaissance, you know, the great enlightenment and the Renaissance and literature and science and the Western world just bloomed and, and all of this kind of stuff. And we say the great enlightenment. And the irony is, is that at that point, that was where, where people were starting to say uh, God is dead or God doesn't exist and, and a number of other things in, in reference to that because they were so smart about figuring out things themselves in the sense they didn't realize that, that you know, and so the idea was to be greatly enlightened was to understand all the basics of the education I shared with you that I got but didn't realize that there was a light that went beyond that which told me why all of that even exists. God. And he wants us to be full of this light that exposes us to God, his wisdom, his revelation, and understanding his word. That He wants us to know what is the hope to which he has called you and this idea of knowing here is more than it's it's more than head knowledge. It really encompasses the idea of to experience. Not just to know from your reading, but to know from your heart. To know from your inside out of who God is. That's and, by the, and, and that comes through the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And the really reality of of, of, of him opening our eyes and opening our hearts opening our minds to understand God and, and how, we, how can we grow in understanding. Is God has is, is put together a foundation, the very basics, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. On that, He built, and, and you know, we're going to go into the Beatitudes, for instance, and, and, and the Sermon on the Mount, which is, is considered uh, by a number of, of scholars uh, to be what they would call the Christian Manifesto. And I thought before we can get into that, I, I mentioned—I know I mentioned it this week—but before we can get into that, we need to know who we are that that it can speak to us. We are the church, the body of Christ, and Ephesians is going to help us with that. That your heart would be enlightened, the purpose that you may know to experience what is the hope to which He has called you, ultimately eternal life, to understand, to rest with a confidence that that is what you have. And the blessings, he wants us to have all these spiritual blessings. When do the blessings begin? Huh? <laughs> Conception. <laughs> okay, I, that's what works for me. My blessings started when I was conceived. I, uh, my mom may, may have argued at points with that. He said that December 7th was the day of infamy, Pearl Harbor Day, 1941. She said 1949, December 7th, was the second day of infamy. That's my birthday. 
but God gave me breath. He gave me life. I was under what some people call common grace. I was under His grace, under His, his blessing. God exposed me, <laughs> tutored me, mentored me against my knowledge in the sense that even against my will at times. Some awesome Christian people. And then, you know, in, in May of 1976, it opened the floodgate to start to understand him and to know him. In 1975, August 15th, 1976, he secured that in my salvation as I confessed with my heart and said, literally, you are Lord. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and, and just the hunger and the thirst that was, it just was amazing. He's been blessing me all my life. But I'm a cognizant of something else in reference to that, and that is, is that unless I am searching His Word and growing, I am shortchanging myself on the blessings that He has for me. If I'm not interactive with the body of Christ and sharing my gift, I am shortchanging the blessings He has for me. I'm not only shortchanging the blessings He has for, from me to you, but I, I'm actually shortchanging my own blessing. We're in His presence through His Holy Spirit in us. We're in His presence constantly. You realize if you don't take God on and off, no matter where you go, I mean, it's constant. He's there. He's called you. He's opened your eyes so that you can see these blessings and now rest in Him from His point of view with His wisdom, His knowledge, His revelation, His Word. This includes knowing, it says, the riches of your glorious inheritance. Your glorious inheritance. All that Christ has he says we are joint heirs with. We are his brothers. We will share in that inheritance. He says, knowing, verse 19, knowing the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. In other words, not just the blessings of life itself, but for those who believe, there's something more here. The power of God, and, he, and, and it's demonstrated in his great might as he resurrected Jesus Christ. We rest in that because we believe in Christ as our Savior. We rest in that power that He raised Christ with. Uh, resurrection power. I'm not thinking of a singing group. Uh, some of you remember <laughs> Dave, John, and, and, and Luke <laughs> uh, Johnson. Uh, the resurrection power. Guys, awesome singing harmony. You know. uh, but, uh, you know, that's where they got the idea of the name, by the way, Resurrection Power of Christ. And not just the power that raised Him, but the, the power of His ascension and His exaltation, the seating Him at the right hand, putting all things under His feet. He is Lord, King, Sovereign over all things. And in a special, unique way, He is Lord, King, Sovereign over the church, which He is the head. He's also, I think, somehow in the midst of all of this, the one that's conducting this symphony and directing it. 
Yeah, but it's it's over all things. His chosen people, his church, he is the head. He is the head over all things to the church, his body. There's so much more yet. Almost can't wait to get to next Sunday. I haven't got a clue as to what time it is, but I, the way I look at it, I've got an hour and a half. <laughs> but huh? Yeah, not the nursery. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Um, we are going to rest right there. Um, but I hope you 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 catch the the awesomeness this morning of of who we are. And not because of what anything that we've done, but because of what He has done for us. And as a result, we, we come to communion every week to honor this awesome power demonstrated through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The God who emptied Himself and became flesh, the bread, and poured out His blood, the wine, on the cross that we might know salvation and given the proof through this powerful mighty resurrection, and as a result, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for all who confess and believe so that we can unitedly together share around this table now and forever. Amen. I ask the ushers to come forward, the worship team to come forward. I ask the, the uh, emblems to be passed out. Hold them until we've all been served. We'll share together.
ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give it. Should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart his wounds have been my ransom. His wounds have been. We've been adopted as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Done in and through the cross at the words of His church, He drew His church together in the sense of taking care of all that was separating us from God. And He's done it permanently, completely, totally. The work is finished. And through the mighty power of God, witnessed in Christ's resurrection, ascension, and exaltation, we know we have eternal life. As the Holy Spirit in us testifies, a powerful picture, isn't it? Came in the flesh. He emptied himself. All through his life, he was never given the recognition that was fully due him. There is a day, even Philippians mentions it. Revelation mentions it. 
There's a day and a point in time where every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you want to know why we're longing for his second coming, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus, more than anything else, the more we seek to know him and the more we begin to understand who he is and what he's done, the more that becomes the thing we want to see and rejoice in that day. And the reason why we will see it and rejoice in it is because of what he has done for us. He went to the cross in the flesh and he died for us. He's asked as often as we would take this bread and eat it together that we would do it in remembrance of him. cup symbolic of his blood poured out. He used it as the description. This is my blood poured out for you to purchase the covenant. Covenant of grace that we share every time we get together until he comes again. And he said do this in remembrance of him. Father again we thank you love poured out that we might share in your inheritance. What an amazing, amazing picture of your grace and your mercy and your love for your church. I want to thank you. We want to thank you. Everyone who rests in your grace wants to thank you, Lord, this morning in that sense of saying, you are our God, you are our sovereign, you are our Savior. We confess that you are alone worthy of our praise. We thank you for your God-breathed word that we might know you better. And we ask that as we come to you, that you would put a burden in our heart to know you better, to know your wisdom, to understand you, to know your revelation better by getting into and surrendering to your Holy Spirit as we read that we might grow in you. As a result, be stronger and, and closer together as a body of Christ. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name.